In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Good evening. Happy Valentine's Day. (laughs) This uh, strange conflation of Valentine's Day and Ash Wednesday has me reflecting on the relationship of love and death. My mother has been gone for 13 years now, but just the other day, I was walking down 19th Avenue, and out of the blue, I just remembered a joke that once made her howl with glee. It brought a smile to my lips, and at the same time, of course, that sharp little pain as I felt her absence once again. The sting of absence is evidence of our love. As Joni Mitchell reminded us, you do not know what you've got till it's gone. For those of us who have loved and lost, today is a double whammy kind of day. Bittersweet. A contemporary philosopher explained the problem of love and suffering this way. To love is to suffer. So, to avoid suffering, one must not love. But then one suffers from not loving. Therefore, to love is to suffer. Not to love is to suffer. To suffer is to suffer. To be happy is to love. To be happy, then, is to suffer. But suffering makes one unhappy. Therefore, to be unhappy, one must love or love to suffer, or suffer from too much happiness. I hope you're getting this down. (laughs) Anyway, back to the topic of ashes and death, which you probably just noticed I've been avoiding. Episcopalians in particular, we're a little bit sensitive to morbid topics. It's just not polite to talk about death in church. In fact, the story is told of a parish where the people complained to their priest that Ash Wednesday had become something of a downer. In response, when it came time to impose the ashes, the priest said, remember that you are dust, but a very high quality sort of dust. (laughs) But let's face it, dust is just dust. There's nothing very special about it, nor is there anything very special, really, about death. I've seen my share of dead bodies in my time as a priest and as a hospital chaplain, and the bodies of the dead are sadly ordinary, not beautiful. There are signs of weakness and disease, dried blood, scabs, bruises, There's rarely a lovely, nicely composed face. More often, there's a gaping mouth, missing teeth, open eyes. The skin is yellow or gray or purple and waxy and oddly shiny and cold. Death is sadly ordinary, really, at least under the harsh fluorescent lights of hospitals and morgues. 
where it usually belongs to someone else. But then there's the reality of our own death and the death of our loved ones, which is anything but ordinary. It's that thing that lurks like a serpent beneath the liquid surface of our lives. It shows up in dreams and apparitions and cold sweats in the middle of the night. That thing that is no thing, that is nothing. Well, whether we like it or not, that is what this day is about. And I think it's important for us to make space, as we do on this day, to let the reality of death sink in a little bit. I think too often we speak about death in church with a kind of practiced, whistling beyond the graveyard kind of confidence, always quick to pull out our alleluias and wave them around as talismans, as if we were too pious, you know, or too high-minded to be terrified. But this day is not for that. We have put our alleluias away for a while. We give ourselves permission to talk about the fact that death is, for most of us, absolutely terrifying. When I was a much younger priest, I had a good friend. He was an older priest. I admired him very deeply. He got a grim diagnosis of pancreatic cancer, and he asked me to be his chaplain while he died. I said, yes, of course, it was a great honor to be invited onto that journey with him. And I confess I was also a little interested to see how this man of very deep faith and piety, how he would engage his death. A few months later, when the reality of death really started to descend on him, he confessed to me that he was terrified. To my shame, I was so surprised I hardly knew what to say. How could this man, whose faith had been such an example to me, how could he be afraid now? But as I walked along with him through those remaining weeks and months, through the valley of the shadow of death, I came to see that his ability to name his fear was evidence of his faith. Because his faith was in a God who shows up in truth-telling. And by speaking his truth, he made it possible for me and his other friends to draw near, to share that deep intimacy of that confession without pretense or false hope. His faith in a God of truth-telling made it possible for God to enter into his deepest darkness. And God's love guided us like a halogen headlamp through that darkness. Faith, after all, is not about the absence of doubt. We know that. It's about the courage to trust our deepest truth. The great writer Harold Brodke kept a journal while he was dying of AIDS portions of which were published in The New Yorker, he wrote this about death. 
Death is not soft-mouthed, vague-footed, nearby. It is in the hall. It has a stagnant air. It floods me, and the flood is soul-wide. The casing that my youth and strength and luck came in is empty and vibrates a bit. A fox cub, a small bird nervous in the shadow, a bag of tainted blood, a skeletal and stiff figure lying still is what my consciousness is. I feel the silence ahead of me as I have all my life felt the silence of God as a given and a source of reasonable terror. This is something one must bear beyond the claims of religion, not the idea of one's dying, but the reality of one's death. Ironically, that's why we are here together in this church. This day is not about the claims of religion. It's not about the idea of one's dying, but rather the reality of one's death, which is why we don't just talk about it. We come here and we rub ashes into our foreheads. We come to church looking for ways to safely encounter the reality of our deaths without giving in to our terror. But for most of us, that terror is there. It's because of that terror that we choose a sanctuary like this one with its reassuringly thick walls and its warm lights, a place where we might feel safe enough to feel vulnerable, a place where we might even be surrounded by friends and sympathetic souls this is the place where we can now bow our heads and face our dreadful truth. And then after the priest has intoned the truth back to us and has smudged those ashes onto our foreheads, we will stand from our kneeling position only to look around and see that everyone else is also smudged. And we realize perhaps the most important thing about this day, which is that we are not alone. We don't have to be alone. To paraphrase Mary Oliver, St. Mary Oliver, we are not here in this church to be good. We do not have to walk on our knees for a hundred miles through the desert, repenting. We only have to let the soft animal of our bodies love what it loves. That's what this religion is for. It's not to squeak out a false confidence in harps and angels, but rather to step toward the dark beauty of sister death together, arm in arm, one soft animal body of mortals breathing together. It is for this, if nothing else, that Christ came into this world to let us know we're not alone. In the end, he came here to teach us 
this soft animal love body that we share is stronger than death. So, if we take on just one Lenten discipline this Lent, let it be that we will not be so alone. Make a promise. Open your heart to someone this Lent. Find your place in this community if you haven't already. Join one of the classes on Wednesday nights or jump into one of the Sunday morning book groups or find a trustworthy conversation partner at coffee hour. And while you're at it, just to throw something else in, stop waiting for your children or your mother or your grandparents to call. Just call them. Stop keeping score of who called whom last. And if you dare, strike up a conversation with a stranger on a bus. Tell them your deepest, darkest secrets and then go on your way. Go ahead before it's too late. Life is short. The church, in her wisdom, knows how all of this works. We cannot be healed if we only pretend to be sick. We cannot be restored to wholeness if we only pretend to be broken. We can't know the power of the resurrection if we refuse to face the reality of Good Friday and Ash Wednesday. So trust the process. Accept that in this place you are deeply loved beyond measure. Give yourself permission to return the favor. And have a holy, blessed Lent. Amen.